So we're going to start today in Mark chapter 8, but before we get there, you know, Jesus is probably the most impactful person in all of history. We're all here this morning because of Jesus, because we already know Jesus, or you've come because you want to know more about Jesus. Jesus' name is in virtually every nation throughout the world. You know, my name's Bradley Beebe. I don't know how many, na- how many nations my name is in, maybe a few states in America, here in Ireland in a, in a small little circle, but Jesus' name is worldwide. There's never been a more impactful person than Jesus. Now, some may make a case for another, but, but really no one has had more of a global impact uh, than him. But who is Jesus, really? Religion has placed Jesus in this tiny little box, right? All nice, all fit, all tidy. Let's try to conform Jesus to how we want him to be. Oftentimes, religion has misrepresented Jesus, maybe even abused Jesus' name. But Jesus is bigger than that. His name still impacts the nations, amen? So who is the real Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly, you know, the Bible says in the first chapter of John that Jesus is the word, right? So let's look at what Jesus says about himself. In Mark chapter 8, in verse 27 through 28, we're going to go there. Am I, in the, am I in the way? Can you see okay? Yeah? Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? It's kind of interesting that Jesus would even ask that, right? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. So while walking with his disciples, Jesus begins by asking them, who do people Say that I am. It is absolutely paramount in your life that you know who Jesus is. Because your eternity counts on that. Who people believe Jesus is will dictate how they respond to him. The box that people put Jesus in is actually the box that they limit him to in their lives. While Jesus walked this earth as a man, people thought he was many things. And honestly, Jesus is kind of a hard person to put in a box because the world's never seen anyone like him before. People thought that he was perhaps a prophet, a great teacher, even one of the prophets such as Elijah or John the Baptist, which I think is kind of weird. You know, it's like reincarnation or something. That's kind of bizarre. But you know how people are. Some people saw him as just the carpenter's son from Bethlehem, just another person in the sea of humanity. But here is a man who is teaching and preaching Christ's word or God's word with authority like no other person. It astonished people. But that is because Jesus is the word, isn't he? 
Here is a man who healed so many, the Bible says that we couldn't even record all of the miracles that Jesus did. That's amazing. Like I've seen like encyclopedias, now we have the internet that can record how much information. Well, the Bible says that the volumes of the world wouldn't even be able to record all the miracles that Jesus did. But that is because Jesus is the healer. Here is a man who was forgiving men's sins, which actually infuriated the religious establishment. But that's because Jesus is the Son of God. He is the mediator between God and men. But Jesus is so much more than just a man. The world has all sorts of ideas who they think that Jesus is. A teacher, a prophet, maybe just a historical figure, a wise man, a philosopher. But Jesus is so much more than just another religious figure. His purpose to accomplish in this earth was impossible for humanity. It was impossible for any other person to accomplish the purpose in which he was sent to do. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, 10. He said that he came into the world to seek and to save those that are lost. You know, it's incredibly sad that there are those who actually refuse Jesus especially in light that salvation is a free gift. It's something that's given us freely, of no cost to us. Jesus bore all of the cost upon himself. And the only, only other alternative is an eternity of being lost. So it's incredibly sad when people refuse Jesus. But God's in the business to save as many people as would put their faith in Christ. Some people have the idea that God isn't love. You ever heard that? Because people who reject Christ are sent to hell. It's not something we like to talk about. But there's so much more to it than just that. Let's look at what the Bible actually says about this. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 41, that hell was actually made for the devil and demons who chose to rebel against God. And the sad thing is, is that when people refuse Jesus, when they refuse the free gift of salvation, they're choosing to side with the devil who rebelled against God. And so they are forced to bear that same punishment. It's not something that God wants. It's not something that God intends. Let's look at another scripture here. You probably know this scripture. In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world. I like how, what it says there. It doesn't just say, For God loved the world. I like to make the point that it actually says, For God so loved. Like it's emphasizing how much God actually loves us. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever, how many of you are a whoever? I'm a whoever. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's his promise to you and I. 
But how many of us know the next two verses? We all know John 3, 16, right? How many of you have that memorized? But then you have verse 17 and 18. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't his purpose. He didn't come to condemn you and I. He came to save us, to seek and to save the lost. But that the world through him might be saved. This is God's intention. This is his purpose, that Jesus would come into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. That's good news, isn't it? And then it goes on in verse 18. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You know, we might think that because we strive to be a good person, that we strive to, to do good works and to do the right thing, that we'll be all right when we pass from this life into eternity. But it's not actually about that at all. It's a, not about good and bad. It's actually about righteousness and unrighteousness. In Romans 3.23, it says that we have all sinned, that those, and those sins have made each of us unrighteous, and the unrighteousness is actually what has caused mankind to be separated from God. It's not whether we're good or bad. It's that all of us have sinned in our lives. I've never met a perfect person in my entire life. I think I'm about as close as it gets to that, right? My wife would probably tell you a very different story. <laughs> but we all try, don't we? But that trying isn't actually good enough because it's not about that. It's about righteousness and it's about unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 3 in the New Living Translation, we're going to read verse 22 through 26. I don't think you could state it any better than this. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's good, isn't it? I don't think any of us could state that any more beautifully or clearer than that. That's the gospel message right there. Now back to John chapter 3 and verse 18. Jesus is saying very, very clearly that those who believe in him are not condemned. That's because they are accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made 
on their behalf, trading their unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, so what is it that we're condemned by? Jesus said we're condemned by our unbelief. But God's desire, of course, isn't that anyone be condemned. He doesn't want any one person in this world when we end our life. He does not want any one person to stand before him condemned because they refuse Jesus' sacrifice. Let's read 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Aren't you glad for the Lord's patience in your life? I am for mine. Man, how many times do we, Lord, I'm just sorry. I messed up today. I messed up yesterday. I messed up last week. I messed up last month, this entire year. I messed up last minute, right? We all make mistakes. We're so thankful, though, for God's patience. It says that he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God's unwillingness is that there wouldn't be any one single person on the face of this planet that would perish. And that's because of his great love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is so amazing. I have three children. I can't imagine sending them to sacrifice their life for any one of you. I'm thankful for you. You're here this morning. Don't get me wrong, right? But I love my kids. I'll give my life for the life of my kids. But God loves us so much that he actually sent his son to die on our behalf. Do we understand the depths of that kind of love, that kind of sacrificial love? That's amazing, isn't it? I'm thankful for it. God's great love caused him to send Jesus in order to make a way possible for us to escape the penalty for our sins. I like what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4.14. He says, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be what? The Savior of the world. So who is Jesus? In the perspective of all those people who are lost and dying in their sin and unrighteousness, he's the savior of the world. That's who he is. Now think about this for a moment. The the amazing thing that Jesus did is that he humbled himself, the Bible says. How humbling is it for you to be part of the Godhead? You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? How humbling is it for you, you know, the all-powerful one, to step down from that and put yourself into humanity and actually become what it is that you created. You actually become something that you created for the purpose of saving that creation. How many of us would have just wiped, wiped that all out? Well, this is no good. We would have just wiped it out and start it over again. God could have, couldn't he have? 
But because of that great love, he couldn't let us go. He knew each and every one of us. God's not bound by time like we are. You know, we, we think by the seconds, by the minutes, by the hour, by the day, by the month, by the year. God's not bound by time like we are. In the beginning, he knew us. He knew each and every one of us. And so when Adam and Eve messed up, thank you, Adam and Eve. We'll have a conversation when we get to heaven. Oh, come on, you laugh, but we probably would have all messed up ourselves too, right? None of us are perfect. But God knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to transpire. But he knew each and every one of us. I don't think we know and realize just how important each and every one of us are to God. We belittle ourselves all the time. I'm no good. I messed up. You know, I'm worthless. What does God see in me anyways? He sees a lot. He really does. You're the sparkle in his eye. He would have sent his son just for you. If every single person, the billions and billions and billions, rejected Christ, Jesus still would have come just for you. That's how great his love is. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a slave, and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now think about this for a moment. There hasn't been any other religious figure in the history of, han of mankind who has died on the cross for mankind. There has never been any other prophet who has taken the sins of mankind upon themselves. There hasn't been any other teacher or philosopher who has sacrificed their life, paying the penalty for our sins so that we could have forgiveness. No one. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying, there actually is no other path to God except through Jesus. Jesus wasn't being narrow-minded when he said this. He wasn't being exclusionary in saying that he was or he is the only way to the Father. He was actually just stating the reality that he alone stepped down from heaven, setting aside his deity and being born miraculously into humanity for the purpose of sacrificing his life for you and I and taking the penalty for our unrighteousness so that we could then take on his righteousness. Do you know anyone else that can fill those shoes? I don't. Jesus is the only way to God because he was actually God who stepped down from heaven to give his life for you and I. Someone who says that they are the way to God, they're basically saying they're God. None of us can fill those shoes. I definitely wouldn't want to 
try to fill those shoes. I would hit everyone with bolts of lightning. That person who cut me off, right? That person, and I'm in the line at the bank. I'm in the queue. I just want to get to the teller to make a deposit. And the people up front are just having a conversation. 15 minutes later, still having a conversation. I just take a bolt of lightning, boom, right? Thank you that I am not God, right? You should be very happy about that. No one else can fill those shoes. Then in Philippians 2 and verse 9 through 11, it says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether people know it or not, whether people like it or not, whether people want to or not, one day each and every one of us are going to bow our knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who know him as Savior, we're going to bow our knee in honor and in reverence and in thankfulness for saving us from the penalty of our sin and giving us forgiveness and eternal life. But for those who have chosen to reject him, they're going to bow their knees as well. But in submission, and sadly, they're going to be judged for their sin and their unrighteousness because they chose to reject Christ's righteousness. That's sad. We don't want to see that. That's why we're starting this church. David, if you just want to come up to where you're at, play the guitar for a minute. So Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Jesus went on to ask another more important question, really, to his disciples. In verse 29, it says, Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? It's great that your parents are a Christian. It's great that you might have been raised in a Christian home. It's fantastic that you found religion. But do you know who Jesus is? Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? It's a good question. But the bigger question is, who do you say that he is? When you stand before the Lord one day, bow before him in submission. Are you going to be bowing before him in thankfulness and be given eternal life because of what Christ has done? Because you're going to be, you're going to bow before him anyways. are you going to bow before him because you've refused him? Forgive me. Man, I lost it during praise and worship. I just couldn't help it. 
Jesus loves us. Man, when you realize how much he loves you, when the price that he paid for you and for you alone, who do you say that he is? This is the most important question you're ever going to be asked in your life. This question right now, this question today, who do you say that Jesus is? If Jesus is just another religious figure to whom we owe religious activity to, and we don't really know who Jesus is, if we simply attend church out of a religious obligation, we don't really know who Jesus is. If we worship and pray to anyone other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, then we really don't know who Jesus is. If I can just have every person bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray in just a moment. I'm asking you this morning the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that Jesus is? You're never going to hear a more important question than this in your life. And I don't want to finish this morning without giving you an opportunity to answer this important question in your heart. Who is Jesus to you? In Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. If there's anyone here this morning that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take the brave step and to raise your hand while no one else is looking around. I want you to choose Jesus. Choose today to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So when you stand before him one day, and we're all going to stand before him, you're going to stand before him, and he's going to be your king, your Lord, your savior, your friend, the one who gave his life for you. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Who is Jesus to you? With every head still bowed. If you've never made, made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you even want to rededicate your life to him, maybe you've made a decision for him be, before, but you've walked away from him. This morning, you can make that decision to live your life for him again. Who is Jesus to you? Listen, if, that, if that's you, if you've never given your life to the Lord or you would like to rededicate your life to the Lord, I'd like just for you to take the next brave step and just come down to the front here. I want to be able to pray with you. If there's anyone here, that's you. Maybe you're all believers. Maybe you're all serving the Lord. And you're all going to stand before him 
in thankfulness. But if there is by chance anyone who's here this morning and you haven't given your life to the Lord, let me tell you, the launch of this church, this service specifically is for you. The Lord's giving you an opportunity. He's giving you a chance. Choose life. You know, the Bible says in Deuteronomy that the Lord has given place before us life and death. But in case we didn't know, in case our, our heads are still a little thick, he tells us actually what to choose. He says, choose life. That's what Jesus gives you. Life. Life eternal. I don't want to leave this morning and you not have the opportunity to be able to choose life. That would weigh heavy on my heart, and I know it would weigh even heavier on God's heart because he loves you. Jesus came for you. Well, let's all pray this together. You know, it's not necessarily the words that are going to save you. It's the decision that you make in your heart. So maybe the Lord's pulling on your heart but you just don't want to raise your hand because there's other people in the room. I get that. I understand that. Listen, I don't like to stand in front of crowds. I'm doing it because the Lord's asked me to. The Lord is asking you today to choose life. So let's all pray this prayer together. And whether you raise your hand or not, that's okay. The Lord can meet you right where you're at in that chair. Amen? Dear God, let's repeat after me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. But I believe that Christ died for me. Taking the punishment for my sin upon himself. I know he did this for me so that my sin could be forgiven. I believe that after the cross that Christ rose from the grave in victory in triumph. I trust Jesus alone as my Lord and Savior and I will live my life to please you. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.